Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars about game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers at Metatopia 2023. Episode 387, Staying In Once You Get In The Door. Presented by Cam Banks and Amanda Valentine. So you could stand in a place of authority, that's why. Yeah, so this is a panel that I set up because a lot of folks have made um, panels about how to break into the business of publishing RPGs or becoming a designer or doing something. And that's one way to, to talk about this. But then they don't talk about what happens when you actually do it and you succeed and you've got like, this thing out there, my, my first game or my first Kickstarter has been successful or I got my first gig on a, on a project and I'm really happy with it. What next? I don't know. There's not a lot of conversation about the next steps. And what I was hoping to do um, is to sort of chat about what that looks like and what to do and what you've maybe tried to do. And if you want to um, brainstorm thoughts like that. But otherwise, I don't really want to sit up here and just talk the whole time. It's it's true. I don't I mean, I mean, just because I have done before is what I want to say. But, um, I think that because I've done this for a while and I've had uh, all kinds of experiences, you know, trying to follow up success, um, it might be helpful to people to think about it. So that's the thing. Um, yeah. Uh, whether you have published something before and then you even did follow up on a on that project with something else. Yep. So. Um, I'm going to have you talk about this too, on a volunteer your own experience and what it was like. Um, so my first game, Prism, which was built from the ground up, it wasn't like a hack or anything, was also me getting introduced to the indie gaming community as a whole and only having 3.5 and them under my belt. Um, so, my, uh, so publishing my first game took a lot longer because I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't, I, I didn't know things I do now, which is I'm sure a common thing. And um, uh, it, it took a long, long time for the game to get to do what I wanted. And I worked on it on and off. And when I finally uh, did the Kickstarter, it um, it funded, it, it, it funded, it did, um, it, it, it overfunded and I broke even, it was great. And then COVID happened, yeah. like right, right as, it, as, it, as it left the printer. So it kind of like went dormant for a bit. Um, but th thankfully IPR kind of like blew some uh, smoke under the embers. Like remember I was like in the ICU and the IPR was like, we would love to have Prism mm -hmm. at IPR. I'm like, I am literally in the ICU and I, I cannot do anything. Like, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And uh, and thus Prism went out into the world, and recently, um, now that um, cons are a thing again, it had a second wind. And in the meantime, during COVID, I um, was in an anthology, so that doesn't really count. That was more like me throwing a game at someone else's thing. Um, 
and OCB was a little, a little different. I, it was a, a bit different because I did, um, I did it less time in PRISM, but it with less energy, if that makes any sense. Um, but um, I published that, it fun, uh, or rather I launched that Kickstarter, it funded, it's out in the universe. It hasn't had its second one yet. I'm not sure if it will or not, but time will tell. But I'm kind of like in that space where all my ideas are out there. So I'm just letting myself um, just float in the space until something, and, let, um, and figure out what I want to do forward. Mm. Yeah, so you, you've done the second follow-up there, but you're also finding this the sort of moment where you're like, okay, now I have to try and remember what I did last time to do it. And I think that's the truth for a lot of us is that you may have done a great first thing, maybe even done a second follow-up thing. Maybe you took someone's advice and, and went down a path to publishing more stuff. But then all of a sudden, circumstances may change. Um, the world may go into a pandemic or whatever. And then a lot of those avenues that you were exploring have closed up or the opportunities to close that when you're well now what do how are you get to this? So um, uh, I wanted to know whether have you done something and wants to follow up or what's your reason for from this uh, I'm sort of in a weird area. I've done a relatively small and simple uh, Zine Quest Kickstarter mm -hmm. and I also ran the Kickstarter for uh, two LARP anthologies, although they weren't um, it wasn't my own work. I was just like doing the Kickstarter yeah. for uh, a work festival, and, and uh, I have stuff that's in the works that someday I do want to do like bigger Kickstarters for. Um, but I don't know. If I, I I definitely I do more stuff in the LARP space than I do yeah. like tabletop role playing games. So I, that's a little different. But, uh, yeah, I'm in a sort of liminal space of like mostly hobby stuff, but like also like bordering on something else. Right, because LARP publishing is a whole different beast in some ways because the actual content you're giving people is not the, the same as the content you give someone for maybe a tabletop game. Uh, in well, the, the, the anthologies uh, were for. Um, Easy to run, low prep, large scenarios that could be run in a few hours. Yeah. So uh, I think that's interesting too. Like this also extends to anyone who's done work in tabletop, um, with the board games or card games. But it also it's like you could take it to fiction if you published a book or had a book or novel sold somewhere, and you're like, well, now what do I do? How do I write a second one? Right. Uh, any anything you've done is a creative project which has its own rewards as being, you know, I've made a milestone in my life, I've successfully done this thing. Which I think sounds like those two things, but you are, like you've done, you've achieved, um, you've achieved that. I've also like uploaded a lot of stuff to itch, and just, it's just up there for a few bucks or for free, and sometimes people throw me money even if it's free. Yeah. Um, I was in a bundle that went semi-viral, and I earned a fair amount of money off of that. Mm -hmm. It is a great place to sort of park things for a bit, isn't it? I mean, it's also, do you have those things be pay what you want? Mm -hmm. Are they pay what you want? or uh, The ones that are otherwise free, yes, they're pay what you want. Uh, <coughs> but I do have some projects that are uh, paid only. Cool. 
Hi. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the uh, premise of this on cam. This is Amanda. We, um, the, the purpose of the panel is like, how do you keep in this business, right? You've done a successful first thing. And uh, we talked a little bit about how, you know, uh, these two audience members have followed up on what they've done first. Um, would you like to tell us a bit more about what you've done and why you're here at the panel? Sure. Uh, yeah, I have uh, I have four published board games today, and I have a couple more in the works. And um, I also do a little bit of side work in video games. And uh, this is the first year that I sort of like piece together what is almost a full time. Yeah. Uh, living in, in game design, so I just you know I would love to keep that going in a sustainable way if possible and so it's quite a it's quite a move um to stepping off to the point where you feel like you can give up other work or stop doing other work and then focusing on this as your main thing it's quite a, a leap a lot of people who even after their first success can't do that because they realize that there's no regular source of income right? Clark, you've done stuff before, freelancers and other things, and you've got your own books that you published. What was your experience like? Uh, well, everything I've done has been freelance. Yeah, I've never done my own publishing or my own Kickstarter or anything like that. But I started, as you know, working with you back in the day on uh, Dragonlance for 3.5. And then when that died away, I figured, well, I'm probably done freelancing because. You know, what do I do next, really? Um, but then through you, and actually you, Amanda, um, I was introduced to the publishers for the Crescent Files RPG uh, at Evil Lab. Mm -hmm. And I started, I became then known as a fate guy. Yeah. Because they had me do a lot of work for fate, and crowning achievement of that then was a game that I designed from the ground up myself called Tapion Squadron, which was a tabletop RPG about Starfighter pilots. You actually did work on the Big Damn Heroes handbook, the Serenity. I, I oh yes, I did. Uh, one of the the sort of huge that book was a big pivot from what it was uh, into where we were starting to think about games as a more narrative experience and having that sort of story game stuff was creeping into a more traditional uh, front line. It was actually quite good. I was really pleased with how that book came out. But I think that's point you but where you get associated with something too like in all he does work with this that can in some ways make you feel like you're suddenly limiting yourself to and when fates as game systems do fate fell out of popularity uh, as other things came up and that's not a bad thing that's just how things go my freelance work kind of dried up um, but I have another project that just started a couple of weeks ago that I can't talk about, specifically because of my work on Tachyon's mm -hmm. So, the things are picking back up again, but it's it's tricky to, after, okay, I now did the thing, I'm in. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's less binary than it seems, being in on the end or on the outs. Yeah. It's not, it's, that's fuzzy. I feel like um, industries like this, and we say an industry like it's a big thing, right? Um, it's not actually an industry until you get to the level of somewhere else. So the close, and even then, most of the people who are making books, the D&D books, are freelancers as well, right? I think that it is a, a revolving door 
and it is one where you can go in and come out and go in and come out quite often. As opposed to, I've gone through the gates, I'm now in the realm of the publisher does on a person, I have gigs, let's move forward. Uh, I think every once in a while you feel like you've been yanked back through the gate because all those paths you felt were open up have gone away. But um, my experience was similar to Clark's in a way because I was invited to um, to write for the Dragonlance material back in 35, based on some um, work I had been doing as a fan, uh, so the sort of fan side of D&D back in the day. And uh, having my work recognized and people say, well, maybe we could get this guy to do some writing and so designing and so on, led me to that work. I was lucky because they had already figured out they wanted multiple books in a product line, right? So assuming I did okay the first time around, they were like, well, we'll, we'll keep you around because we want you on the next book. And then maybe we'll have you do this other thing. We actually picked up and left where we lived and moved to Wisconsin uh, to work full time for um, uh, Margaret Weiss. And that was a huge leap of faith as well, right? Because I had a pretty consistent steady dog. Why is that door always locked up? Um, but I mean, for me, that was like there was already like a product line to sort of look at. But there's, there was every possibility that I would have done one or two books, and that was it, right? Um, and I think that a lot of what was good in my situation was that I had maybe made some people happy with my work. I had these contacts, I had folks who wanted to see more, and that's a side of this continuation, which I think I would like to sort of suggest we talk a little bit about the networking side of things, just as a way to keep yourself in that. Um, I feel like it's everything if you, if you aren't somehow doing your games all by yourself, networking is everything. Um, I've been editing now for almost two decades. Um, and so I have a lot of connections. I have people who will come to me. Uh, and without that, I don't even know mm -hmm. what I would be doing. Um, but that, that's not an easy thing to do. I know. But, uh, one thing. success by painstakingly doing your job well for 10 years. <laughs> um, but also, like, especially when you're at things like this, but also uh, in social media or someone, you are always interviewing. Yeah. You don't know that you're always interviewing, but you are forming people's ideas of who you are. Um, you know, the quality of your work that goes out. Those are all basically you doing unofficial interviews with other people who might want to work with you. Um, and it's, it's building those reputations and networks that typically brings your next you know, opportunity. Unless somehow you manage to pull it off on your own. Some people really do. Mm -hmm. I want to add too, I don't think that the quality of the work is the main driver of how you get additional stuff. You could write something that is kind of okay, or mediocre, or just fine, 
as the first thing you do and get it published or put into a magazine or um, have it in an anthology or self-publish it in some way. That's totally fine. And then someone may say, um, I think you could do better and here's a new opportunity. But I'm speaking as an editor. Yeah. You can't do crappy editing your first time out and have anybody come back to you. No. But I think I, I think that what you're saying is correct, Amanda. The networking part of it is how you are able to even get that um, thing to, to work. Uh, yeah, what you want. What yeah. Was it? What was it? Um, yeah, speaking of networking, um, with my first game, Prism, since the, uh, unlike my, my most recent game where I had someone do the artist for um, Prism, other than like the editing and layout, anything I didn't know how to do, but I did like all the artwork and writing by myself, and it was a niche game at the time because I like making dessert, or, like um, provide a very unique experience. And I actually got um, my job, my um, a freelance gig with um, Evil Hat on Aegon because um, Sean approached me about Prism. He's like, Whitney, I'm gonna have everyone give me like three island pitches, but I don't want you to give me pitches. I just want you to make make me an underwater island. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's your underwater game. Yeah. Um, you came in a little later, but two of you actually. Um, what we've just been doing is sharing a little bit about our first experience and what happened when we got into this, uh, because we're talking today about um, some just some general ideas and some thoughts and some um, sort of perhaps some suggestions as to what to do and how to continue to do what you want to do in this sort of uh, uh, line of work that we're in. And it doesn't just include being a writer or game designer, it includes, like I said, embedded editors, art directors, layout people, anyone who's a creative, who wants to continue doing this? How do you do it? Like how do we, what's the success rate like? So, um, do you want to maybe say who you are and what, what brought you to the panel? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Diego. I'm a designer. Um, I've been doing this for about What was your first success? Um, honestly, it was, it was like a it was like a really small like game that I just made like Game Jam on H.io, but it was um, part of a bundle and like that. I don't know which bundle it was, but it was um, I just included it on there, but it's gotten like way more downloads than <laughs> I expected it to. Like, yeah, the one where like I just posted something for the first time and like. A year and change, and so I, I went and got on my like dashboard to see how often people viewed that. And I went and I was like, "Oh wow, fifty people downloaded a game yesterday." Yeah, I put that out like two years ago. And I was like, "Well, then, okay, well that's cool. You know, that's a nice encouraging thing." So, wow. Yeah. Um, that's I mean, you know what that's called? It's long tail, right? That's the thing. This thing will continue to have sales or downloads or activity or impressions a long time afterwards. Um, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that when you can be rediscovered, um, and that can be maybe your maybe that's the opportunity that you needed. Or someone noticed this. Um, I don't know who the designer. I feel badly. I don't know who the designer of Honey Price is. Um, it's a game where your bears. It's okay, right, Howard. I think yeah. I think it's Grant Howard. Yeah. Um, that game became massively popular because it was on Critical Role. 
where the team took a break from running the D&D game in their normal campaign and then they did Honey Heist. And I think anytime someone who has the sort of prominence level of the actual play people, I think you mentioned 20 or Critical Role or other sorts of um, platforms says, hey, this little game I think was fun. We're going to hold a session or two of that in front of millions of people. And then that person only goes, why are my inboxes full up with just... You can't clearly make that a part of your plan. <laughs> but I think that's one of those occasions where you may feel that your first actual success was something like that. And you're like, how do I repeat that? I can't repeat that. So how do I stay in and make some sort of living out of this without you know, praying that you know Matthew Mercer is going to like find my game and run it <laughs> for a bunch of people? So, uh, in the back. Um, my name is Anthony. I help uh, game publishers take their game and bring it to a virtual tabletop platform or multiple. Uh, so I sometimes do programming for that, but the general like product is usually just like taking their existing book and turning it, you know, taking all the text images and whatever and turning it into something that makes sense on a screen. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I basically only have two clients, but it, it, it's enough work. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of work, so. That's a lot of what we did at um, Fandom with D&D uh, Beyond and uh, Tales of Zadia, like his idea of getting games uh, transferred to a digital format. Um, I think that's a really great way to get stuff out there. I'm glad that you're doing that for some people. It's, it's awesome. Do you feel like that is your uh, is your success, or, or are you thinking that it's more likely that you're in that sort of um, 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 helping other people, and that's why you're kind of here to listen about that. Right. Uh, the reason why I came here was just because I thought the talk sounded interesting, but I can, <laughs> I can definitely um, speak to, I guess, what my first success, what I felt like my first success was, mm -hmm. um, was negotiating a you know relationship with a publisher for the first time and then succeeding. Yeah. Because you know the first, the very first time, it did not go anywhere, and then I guess on my second try, it it turned out to be a good. Uh, working relationship. Uh -huh. So, uh, and that was like, that was the thing that was my big goal that I had achieved. And then from, from here on out, it just seems like much more, it just seems much more attainable, you know? Right. Yeah, you crossed that first thing, but I think uh, a lot of what people find is that they, once they've gotten over that first hurdle, then they look ahead and think, oh my gosh, there's still more hurdles. Yeah. Right? And that's the, the rough part. Yeah. Um, an interesting sideline to all my past is that, like, at one point, um, I was, for about two years, I, I and a couple other friends of mine, uh, Dave Tucker and Phil and I, we chased down uh, Chris uh, Christopher Fidel, who was one of the owners of Sentinel Comics, and Sentinel was a multiverse uh, game. And we were like, we want to make a game, a role-playing game, uh, of your world, it would be great. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, and nothing happened enough. from one Gen Con to the next Gen Con. And the second Gen Con we met him and we said, hey, we should re we want to pitch this idea to you. Now I'm not sure. Uh, we found out that he had, in the interim, gone and researched us online 
dug into our social media to ask people and sort of essentially I did like background checks on us. What's that? You're always interviewing. Yeah, and came back and said, you know, I, you don't know that I did this, but here's what I did. And I think this is great, we should move forward. And I felt like that was one of those weird things where, you know, you're not entirely aware of just how much you put out there and what you do affects what someone's actual um, chance of taking you into that next space is gonna be. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's cool. Helping people get into there is also fun, but then trying to do the work and then making sure you maintain your level of uh, whatever you think professionalism is or your authenticity online so that people don't read what you're doing and say, this is not who I want to be working with. Yeah. Um, also, whoever said that if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life is a damn liar. Yeah. Yes. Because I have my dream job. I really do. I am a full-time RPG and uh, fiction editor. And it's still work. Yeah. And I still don't want to do it many days. And, you know, it's still a slog. Because it's a job. And that's kind of how it goes. And you have to do things for money. Uh, my admission about uh, myself as a, as a professional is that I have, I don't know what it, how you would describe it. It's not imposter syndrome. I'm actually, I, I recognize that I've done what I've done and succeeded, and that's fine. Um, what I have is I don't remember how I did the last thing. And that's a really bad thing to have as a flaw in your uh, professional <laughs> knowledge bank. Uh, such that, like, uh, I may succeed in that thing, and we release a game, and it gets out there, and we spend time marketing it, and we go to conventions, and we run it. And then we say, okay, next project. And I immediately go, how did I do the last one? Uh, and you think, but all you have to do is like, we'll do what you did last time and repeat it, yeah. right? But that's actually not true ever. Um, unless you're doing, you know, sort of uh, production line stuff, in which case, yes, you can repeat things and then rinse off this and then redo it. So I think um, I'm interested to know whether what you folks think about the idea of, um, using what you did before and how do you feel repeating what you did would be successful or do you think that you were making decisions that you wouldn't do again? Maybe in fact, what do you think? Would you repeat what you did or would that be? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think there's like, especially for like for really small games doing like adding as part of like a bundle or it's like definitely something I know. Yeah, I, I, I would do again. I, you know, stuff that I actively look for. Um, I think, I think definitely like part of why I want to like start outsourcing art is just like I'm not like disappointed in how to do stuff, but also like this isn't a thing I'm. I'm much more interested in writing the design mm -hmm. than I have in making the art for it. So it's like if that if making the art's gonna put it to that next kind of level where people say like rather than being like, oh this art isn't so notably terrible and want someone to look at the art and be like, wow the art is really cool, you know, if that's gonna help make it a little more notable, I'd rather do that. But um but as far as like putting in the bundle, I found that super successful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> especially what? as like a kind of really small time. It, it seems like that's a great way to, to just do something that almost is passive. Right. Yep. The active part of that is like, I uploaded it. Right. The bundle sells itself because of the people who are managing and overseeing it. Right. 
that's great if that's not the thing that you do. Yeah, that's why I agree with this. Self-publishing sucks! Yeah. <laughs> so, Winnie, um, maybe uh, repetition. How would you, would you do something that you did before at the end? Um, see, like, so, so, um, I, I was uh, at, like, a, a panel earlier this year. I, I, I like, was saying, like, you basically had to be your own hype train, hype train through the entire process if you're self-publishing. And like the game design aspect, you know, like considering I like it, it like uh, took me like a quarter of the time it took me to make my first game to make my second game. I mean, yeah, yes, it was a hack, but I, I like had the like my character sheet was like I know how to you know um, get the game to do what I want to faster. But the the part I struggled with, I think, as this is just lack of spoons, is the is the hype train part. Yeah. Because you like you, you, know, you can upload something, you can print something, you can uh, you know crowdfund and fund something. But like once it's out in the universe, or once it's it's um on like on Kickstarter, it's like up to the cosmos and your hype train. And if the hype and if your train has no coal in it, and no one knows about your game, it's kind of like floats there so the only thing i would do different is just that, uh, there's something i would do different because if i had the energy i would have done it but it's like it's it's hard to it um the, i think like the, the hardest part of, of like the like the what now is to get other people interested in the, in the thing you did so so it, it stays relevant because because um there's always like the you know like throwing your fit your like publish your games and then like like let, let, let it ride right but if those but if both of those any projects you have out in the in the wind just flatline it's like <laughs> well what's the point of making another one if my uh, my other projects are like so but thankfully you know my first game is you know still you know active but it, it, it's, it's discouraging when you do all that work and like throw it out there and you hear and you hear nothing back and you're just kind of like well what's the point of doing number four if number three is is flatlining i think it's one of the things that's so hard about this industry like so there are all these creatives who want to create stuff but there's a business angle to it too that we can't afford to pay people to do yeah but it's also not what we want to be doing and i think that creates a really interesting catch 22 um you know, you're talking about hiring artists and so on. You know, then you have to figure out how you're going to pay them. And um, I'm starting to get into design a little more. I'm like, oh, and I want to work with these people. I'm like, oh, great. We have to actually like I have to figure out how, how we're all going to get paid when we're doing this, uh, which has never been a part of it that I've had to worry about. And you know, I don't have I don't necessarily have a brain for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Put it on. Lot of hats. You were saying actually that you have a lot of those lined up in the hats on. I think that, that if you have the ability to focus on the stuff you're good at, you will immediately feel better about the work you're doing, right? Um, some of the stuff that you're maybe not as good at, marketing or editing or publishing stuff or you know, getting it in the hands of people, right? That's the major stress and it could be the barrier between you being successful or not. So yeah, getting other people to do it or working for people who can do that. There are people for whom the business side of RPGs and publishing tabletop games is their favorite thing. And I think those people are uh, weird. 
Especially because they're still working in this industry yeah. instead of going someplace else where their skills would actually pay them a decent wage. But if they want to work on these games, they like the games of what they do are here for, right? And I think that's why we're here. Um, we'd all be doing something different if we didn't like this. So, so uh, Clark, what about you? The idea of repetition or, or go looking back and doing what was good last time? Um, there's a few levels to think about that. You think about it on a, as a game design, well, this design worked before, can I use it again in some other context? And again, as a freelancer, I have to be a little careful about that because I don't actually own the game that I made before. Mm. Right? That's, that's owned by somebody else now. And while, yes, I can I can make similar game mechanics and, and that sort of thing, it's, uh, and in some cases, I have done that, yeah. uh, and, and, that and that's fine. It's also important to remember that even if there's, you know, the, the first time you made a game um, that was successful by whatever definition of success you choose to use, uh, the second time around to, to stay in, you're, you're different. Yeah. The circumstances are different and you're different and the world is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, just the past, the past few years have been rough on everybody, right? Yeah. And um, just be cognizant of, well, if you're doing something now for the first time, if you're doing a, a, a job or a design now for the first time since pandemic started, oh, oh. Yeah. things are different and, and it might not be as easy for, it certainly has been harder for me to get my head back into things after pandemic and illness and, and that just, Ripped parts of my brain. And that, uh, writing and design and any sort of creative thing like that is a muscle. If you don't use it, it atrophies. Not going to go away, but it'll take time to build it back up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just repeating is is harder than it sounds because yeah. things have changed. Um. There's a transformative element of just the way the world has, is moving on. And I think in some ways it even comes down to things like the kinds of games people are willing to play. Right? I think a lot of this has been a form of buying what um, we had to do to play online. A lot of it is like, well, you know, this is a famous game now, so we should all mimic parts of it because that's what people want to see. Um, do you find that like, when you're looking to do something else, you're starting to consider maybe what uh, the audience wants versus what you want? Or are you so fully into, like, this is the game for me, I will always make my games on it? For me, a lot of it's like, um, it's like in terms of, well, I, I, a lot of times I'm inspired by something, right? Like. Um, Specifically, I was talking about this with um, someone earlier. It was like a lot of times I'm making something because I almost like something. Like I wanted to like something that existed, but I didn't like this one aspect of it. So I'm yeah. going to make that. Um, yeah. And then that. Uh, what's nice about that, right, is that like I'm I'm giving my angle on something that I know has an audience because I'm part of that. Audience, right? um, so I, I design kind of with my interest in mind, but I, but I am considering the fact that like, they don't care about this thing. Yeah. You know, like I had a friend who yeah. had a board game idea, you know, it's different, but he had a board game idea that was like a really heavily like strategy based game 
but it was about like kids or something like that. I can't remember what it was, and I was like, well, that's cool. Like, do those two audiences like match up per se? Like, do people who want to play heavy strategy games care about like interior design? Maybe not. You know, um, I think that was kind of thing. I wonder about the um, impact of shifting your focus as well. I think that sometimes you, you think, oh, this is really good and this this was successful and I, I kind of want to do this thing now, but I really want to try this because that's what people are starting to, um, to notice or there's a, there's a room that I've just seen visibly from outside that I kind of want to be in. And maybe that's another thing that is part of this whole process, like, you know, cool, have fun doing that thing. I've developed it. Now I want to try new skills. That was a skill I want to try. But do you want to take that leap? Right? That's a step into that thing that maybe is difficult to do. Well, a lot of my ideas are so niche that like, I don't think I can ever like, really sell them to a wide audience. Um, but like, I can't not make games. Like, I feel like it's core to who I am and it's something I've been doing to some degree my entire part of my life that I cannot remember. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear that. Even if it's just in a hobbyist sphere, like that, that could be games. Um, I've been making RPGs since I was about 11, mm-hmm. and they were always in uh, school exercise books with math paper, and yeah. I would just do our own illustration and copy things from other games that we were doing and so on. And I've made, I made dozens and dozens of them through high school. Yeah middle school and high school and uh, my wife recently said hey I think you've got a few of those in memory boxes out somewhere you know you should dig them up and scan them in and sell them <laughs> and I'm like well I don't know if I'll do that but I do think it would be fun to explore what what I did when I was like 12 or 13 14 years old and say is there anything in here that people want to see this? Uh, I think the answer is no. I I recently found a a document of a card game hack that I wrote when I was like nine or ten. I was weirdly successful in like just creating games that other kids on the playground would spread around and they got really popular. Like I even had one like rock, paper, scissors variant that spread to other schools. And I made up a game in gym class that um, they were still playing in gym class 10 years later. I, I was looking, I, was, I, was, I even did like cover pages inside, like they were with Tyler. Yes, and cover and, pages! And uh, I had the bottom uh, copyright, I can read too. This is monstrous. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. One thing I think is interesting connected with my virtual scale up thing. Um, Figuring out how we have to do things differently when we know that the virtual tabletop is going to be part of it. Um, and that was a lesson we started learning at Fandom. And, you know, so now it's part of my thinking when I'm working on something. Um, and, and part of what's interesting about that to me is that I do not have the language to even talk about that bridge. Um, but yet it's something that I have to figure out how to, to still do. 
My words are kind of failing me. Now, it's a skill that you have to acquire. Yeah, and, it, and, a way of, uh, and not just a skill, but a way of looking at things that is different from how I have always looked at things. Uh, personally, I am thrilled with the idea of game books not going from page one to page whatever. Being able to, you know, experience them in whatever way makes sense to the reader because it, it sort of sparks exists in this compendium. I think that's the future of game books. The order of putting things has always been a struggle. Yeah. Um, but it, it requires really looking at things differently, which is hard when programming is something that I do not understand at all. And I don't even have the <laughs> The language barrier I fandom was real. Yeah. yeah, they would be talking about something, and I'm like, uh, like they'd be talking about the style book, and I'm like, uh, style guide. I'm like, yeah, that's the thing that I do for you know, mm. what words are capitalized or whatever. And they're like, no, oh. this has nothing to do with words. We're talking about everything. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I wouldn't even know what they were talking about. Um. I don't know what I'm talking about there. Just well, it's like I think from what I was hearing there is like you know you have to start doing things differently because of the way that the will change. You know? But and, how do you communicate your need and understanding how to even talk about it if you don't have that skill set or language for that skill set? Now, what something that was really exciting was that we started working with a layout person who had never done game books before. And uh, in the past, I've always like edited text, I throw it over the wall, somebody does layout, and then comes back to me for proofing. But working with T, like, we worked hand in hand on stuff, and it was phenomenal. Everybody should do this. <laughs> because we brought two different ways of looking at it, and um, it, it, it completely revamped the way that we've always kind of done books before. Yeah. But we're, we're continuing to change how that works. Um, it's us and the projects that we're doing, and it just, it, I think I've seen it happen in real time with um, the indie space. I think that that's where a lot of the stuff always germinates the, the first sort of signs of change. Um, it's no joke that a lot of the stuff that I've done in the past, people would say, this is only possible because you know about a game that someone else made in the indie small press you know circles i'm like yeah a lot of this i i would read through that i played them and i'm influenced by them and we are all influenced by what we see as success and so on but i think that the test bed for a lot of these ideas and even um process like how to publish how to put things out there starts in that small press plan so what's what's the difference where do you draw the line between recognizing that the audience needs different things, such as compatibility with the virtual tabletop, yeah. um, versus trend chasing that yeah. you'll never win it because you'll always arrive six months later. Um, I think we are in a better place than the video game developers are, software developers, because that stuff takes eons. Mm -hmm. So I mean, like, you'll, like, we've announced this game in 2022. You'll see it in 2030, you know. If you're working. Yeah, if we haven't been held up. I think we are much, <laughs> I guess the word they, they use is agile. We're much faster and can turn on dying a lot faster than tabletop, but not even really. Right, so there's much of a range there in terms of like super, super indie and someone who on their laptop in, uh, in their bedroom. Yeah. All the way to like, AAA. Right. 
Yeah, it's, it's a spectrum, right? It's, it's certainly not like these guys and these guys. Um, uh, I was saying this in a, in a conversation I had yesterday where there's this idea that a lot of the people who work on, um, so I guess, B tier or below, or anything that's an RPG that isn't Wizards of the Coast, and D&D, anything that they do that isn't 5e, we're all fighting over the same area of the market, or we think we are, right? When what we could be doing is reclaiming more of that space and broadening it and making it bigger to allow us to have the different wide kaleidoscope and colors and things that we want. Um, instead of like constantly fighting over each other. The trend thing is interesting because I think it's not just trends in, um, you know, publishing stuff or whatever, but also design and what the game is people want to play. Uh, once Apocalypse World became a, an indie darling, the power of the Apocalypse game started sprouting out all over the place, you know, and it done the world um, and others like it. And some of them completely just didn't understand what was good about Apocalypse World, or they didn't get that it was what it was in the white world. Others really did, and got and took somewhere entirely different, you know. Um, uh, Avery stuff in, like, in the Monster House, for example, took it somewhere completely further over here, and in, in turn that becomes influential. I think that's the thing. Transiting is one thing you kind of sometimes need to because you like you want to find your way into the same place where everyone's talking. And if you don't pick up the thing and run in there, no one's going to pay attention to you. But you can't only do that because you will always, like I said, you will always arrive late and you will you won't get it. Yeah. Um. Kind of going on trends is like more like the in, the, in like the games that that are popular like. Um, when I wrote my games, it wasn't really necessarily like what's what's the, what's the fab right now. It's basically like uh, me saying you're not my dad and doing what I want. <laughs> but uh, I think um, my my most a lot of my inspirations when it wasn't necessarily like a game I really like, like Here's the Machine or Lady Blackbird, is actually like I owe a lot of my um, thought process to making a game to LARPs actually. Because I've had a lot of uh, like the, the three like core ideas I've had that are out in the world as a game, not including the ones I've uh, games I've written for, um, which had to uh, like to hold hands with the theme of that book, like Aegon or Thirsty Thor Lesbian, is that I don't I abandon an idea if I can't wrap it in safety and comfort. Uh-huh. So LARPs, being in LARPs um, with with that that were like more like emotional intimacy one on one experiences heavy. Kind of train me as okay. What? How can I? How can I present a tabletop game that is social and narrative, where things can get kind of like in a, and, and 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 like swaddle it in a burrito of of, of comfort, or like the players yeah. and the game master are all feeling safe and happy in the space, while kind of like not not pushing pushing the boundaries, but like things potentially getting heavy. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on our time. One of the ones that there was uh, quickly run down a couple of things that we've talked about, and that might be of use. Um, we mentioned the idea that once you do the first thing and then you've made some success there, looking up for how you can um, take lessons from that, and maybe if you can repeat some stuff, then do that. If you can recognize things that were like flashed in the pan and didn't, you, you can't duplicate it. Uh, Look out and see if you can get help from people who are good at doing the thing that you don't want to do, and then have yourself focus on the things that you really are strong, have your strength at, right? 
that's a really good thing to do. I think networking, being in places like this, talking to people, uh, putting your best foot forward in all social channels and places where you know that there's public or even private conversations is extremely important. Um, and figure out who you think you are and what you want to um, tell uh, the world about who you are is a big deal as well. I think that that kind of authenticity is a key to networking. Um, Mary, anything else that you think you to the takeaway from this? Let's see if anybody had questions before we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid problem. Great. A lot to think about. Yeah. And uh, one thing I, I would say as a middle-aged game designer, um, you know, I've been in this industry for two decades, and the people who are making stuff now were in diapers when I started. <laughs> and realizing the way that, again, the terminology and so on, we're not always talking about the same thing, and, and figuring out how to check those assumptions at the door. and. My definition isn't necessarily better than theirs, but also we need to make sure we're not all talking about, like talking across purposes. Uh, Hi, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that that goes to the whole idea that the world is changing, everything is moving on. Uh, there will never be a moment, fixed in time, that you can do with that or, or look back and repeat that for, for any number of reasons. So, yeah, cool. Um, thanks for coming to the panel and sharing your thoughts and your ideas and your experiences. I really appreciate that. Wish you all the best in your continued endeavors. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Yay.